we are going to be looking at a, a scripture in the book of Galatians that's like right in the middle and it's sort of the hub that summarizes everything that Paul has been writing about so far. It's sort of the central message and I want to read this for you today. Um, here we go. It says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you, you all were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one with Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. The Bible says that we should all be one in Christ Jesus. And the community that Jesus is building here at Anthem and around the world can be defined by oneness, can be defined by unity and equality. And Colin is going to be sharing the message today. But before he does, I wanted to share with you a little video, a little snippet of a message that he gave at another church a few years back where he told a story that I feel like really hits to the theme of what this scripture is talking about. And um, it's a story that, that he shared, a true story of something that happened when he was singing and playing at someone's wedding and everything went very badly wrong. So watch this. I was, I was singing a song, singing and playing a song during the ceremony. It was just me and the piano. <clears throat> and I realized that my voice was a little scratchy, as it is today, in fact, and uh, be dousing some water down here and there. Um, but uh, my voice was a little scratchy, and suddenly I realized that the keyboard that I was playing on had one of those transpose key buttons, so I, in a sense, can shift the pitch of the piano downwards so that I wouldn't have to reach so many high notes when I was singing. In fact, I could... Um, I can demonstrate here because, uh, you know, instead of playing a song that would be kind of here, um, I could press the transpose button and just, just by moving it down a half step, it would make it easier. I could still read the chord chart in the same key, but now if you don't know what I'm talking about, we're never going to figure it out. But if you do know what I'm talking about, you're just nodding right now and you're like, okay, Colin, we get it. Let's move on. Now, this was all fine. It was all going well until the end of the service. Uh, the vows had been said, everything had been done. It was the sort of the pronouncement of this couple's new marriage and unity as they, as they sort of, you know, ride off into the sunset on the way out of the building. I was playing um, trumpet voluntary, a uh, very famous processional, recessional piece of music. You heard that one? Okay, but I was playing that. There's only one small problem. Well, two small problems. One is that I didn't put the transpose button back to where it was. And two, and this is the bigger problem, is that I was accompanying a trumpet player at the time. Now, strangely enough, Joe didn't have a, a, a transpose button on his trumpet that he had just pressed. So all of a sudden, I was playing in one key and Joe was playing in a different key. Now, as you can imagine, that caused somewhat of a problem. And again, if you don't understand music, you don't know what that meant. The, the closest I can, I can get to it is by playing in, in one key on my left hand and uh, another key on my right hand to prove the point. So it went something like this. Beautiful, right? Now, so we got, we got to the end of that piece of music. The whole time we're in it, I hadn't figured out what I'd done. I'm, I'm thinking, why has he changed the key? And he's obviously thinking, why has Colin 
done something so ridiculous as to change the key on a piece of music that's, that should be in you know, the key of C and then decide to play it in B. Well, when we got to the end of that section of the song, Joe suddenly thought, well, what the heck? He's making more noise than I am, and he's obviously you know, not changing. So Joe decided to, to change down to the key of B on the fly. Very talented man. And so at that point, I realized I have the transpose button on. So Joe went, we went from like this to, to like this. So it sounded something like. So by then, um, we both realized that something went wrong and it was, wasn't until the third section of the song that between the two of us we finally managed to be in the right place by which time everybody had left and, and what was supposed to be you know, one of the most valuable times of this couple's day uh, the beautiful pronouncement of, of Davin and Amy in their new life together um, ended up being ruined because on the piano, I wanted to just go somewhere differently than where I should have been going. And um, uh, this, this moment of beautiful unity was, uh, was slightly destroyed. You see, just one subtle half step away from what was intended destroyed the pronouncement of this couple's new unity. You know, in these verses that we're looking at here today, Paul is describing what the new community of God is supposed to look like. And he's saying in verse 28, he said, In Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, or sometimes Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, and neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And he's making this clear, declarative pronouncement of what this new community of oneness and equality and unity is supposed to look like. Here's the problem. The Galatian church wasn't made up of people who were on those equal planes. In fact, they were used to this kind of hierarchical problem where masters, of course, were uh, stronger than slaves and Jews were stronger than Gentiles and men were stronger in, in every way than, than women. And you've got these three hierarchical problems that Paul is saying, this has got to come to an end in the new community of Christ. But their problem back then, and honestly, this, the same problem has been occurring in the church for a couple of thousand years, and our problem today is that we often want to make these subtle half-step adjustments to the plan that God had all along. So out of these three things, like the first one says, in Christ, there should be no Jew nor Gentile. There shouldn't be any divisions between those two groups. You see, the, the Jew thought that he was better than the Gentile in, in culture and in the church and in everything. There was these people during the, that time in the church that were called Judaizers, or they, they called them Judaizers. They were basically saying, yes, you can come to Christ uh, based on salvation, but we'd really like it if you adopted some Jewish traditions as well. In fact, you know, this, uh, the, the verse Galatians 3.26 that, that they just read said that uh, you, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ. In faith in Christ of Jesus is, the, is the, the way to get your salvation. This was their Jesus plus nothing moment. 
But then they said, well, Jesus plus Jewishness is the solution. Can't you just kind of like add some Jewish dietary laws and perhaps circumcision? And so, you know, you, you often think that uh, you often feel bad for the guy who, who came to Christ the week before this letter had been received by the church. Or at least this is where my mind goes. And some guy comes to the church and he has the gospel explained to him with the kind of like the Judaizers version of it. And they're like, well, come to Christ and put your faith in Christ. Oh, and we'd really like you to be circumcised. And this dude's like... Okay, let's do it. And, and I can imagine this guy going through this thing and then spending the rest of the week with, I don't know if it's a bag of peas or whatever's helping him get through that healing. But he shows up at church the following Sunday in Galatia and somebody waves this letter. Hey, we've got this letter from Paul. Guess what? We're not going to like give in to this Judaizing anymore. We're not going to give in to these Jewish traditions. Imagine what it was like. For some reason, that's just where my mind goes. Of course, that's not in the scriptures or anything like that. But we have a habit of overlaying cultural, racial, uh, religious traditions on other people that shouldn't be having them laid over them. I even think back to my own wedding uh, 25 years ago and uh, Liz's, part of Liz's family is Egyptian and comes from a Coptic Orthodox Christian tradition. And so when we had a non-Coptic wedding, um, it was interesting to see about three or four hours into the reception, a Coptic Orthodox preach, a priest showed up and somebody had invited him to bless the wedding, at which point we felt like it didn't need any more blessing. It was already blessed as much as it needed to be. There was this subtle overlaying of other people's tradition on ours. It is the easiest thing to try and overlay or impose tradition on top of the New Testament direction. And the, the scriptures clearly say, among you there shouldn't be any uh, religious divisions or any ethnic or racial divisions among you. To treat other races or ethnicities differently in the church was something that Paul says this has to stop. This has to not be uh, part of the evidence of what the new community of Christ is. I pray that we will always be a community that is open-handed in the way that we bless and honor and respect other churches in our community, even other Christian churches that we feel, well, we would have some significant differences to them. Will we, will we still honor them? Will we still uh, give respect to them for the fact that they are trusting Jesus? There should be no slave Sorry, there should be no Jew nor Gentile in the community of God that is defined by unity and oneness and equality. There should also be no slave or free. There should be no slaves or masters in the community of God. You see, think about this passage of scripture in light of who was coming to Christ at this time. And I love what N.T. Wright says when he talks about this, uh, this passage of Scripture. He says, presumably there was people coming to Christ in the churches in Galatia then who were masters and who were slaves. These people both receiving Christ almost side by side. You had business people and you had uh, servants or slaves. You had professionals and you had tradespeople. You had rich and you had poor all coming into a new relationship with God. And somehow Paul's got to address the fact that there's this odd thing taking place when a slave sits down in the church and who should sit next to him but, but the, perhaps his master. And perhaps the question was being answered, is that okay? And Paul makes it real clear, it's not just okay, 
It's just that there should be no divisions in the church between slaves and masters, between slaves and free. And, uh, and he's, he's basically saying, listen, whatever takes place outside in the marketplace between the relationship between slaves and their masters, there should be no socioeconomic lines drawn inside the church. In here, in this community, you're one body. You're one united, one equal individuals in the body of Christ. Now, it does seem that um, from what we understand about New Testament culture is that slavery wasn't necessarily the kind of slavery that we understand uh, to to be so abhorrent to us uh, in the 21st century. There are some similarities and some differences. Um, It seems that in that, that, uh, that day that slavery was kind of like almost like a currency. It was sort of one of the ways that you would get things, get business done. If you owed money to somebody and you couldn't pay it back, you would make that choice to, well, I'll I'll probably go into slavery into their household until the debt is paid off. That's not to say that it was all all a bed of roses and it was all above board, but it is interesting that Paul's agenda here isn't to put an end to slavery in the New Testament. This didn't just apply to... uh, uh, his, His primary agenda wasn't to remove slavery from their communities, but it was to let them know how the community of God should function together. Of course, this didn't just apply to the way that they came to Christ, but it applied to the way that they serve Christ alongside one another in the body of Christ too. In fact, Ephesians uh, 6 verses 5 and 6 says this. It gives a bit more context to it. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. It's interesting that slaves of God phrase is not what they might have been expecting, but suddenly their position in the community was being more described as a metaphor for how we serve God than their, for their actual, actual physical role in the community. Slaves and masters were to lock arms with one another and to serve God alongside each other with complete equality in the body of Christ. Now, I feel um, fairly lucky enough that I haven't had many, I suppose you'd call them service industry jobs in my life. And um, the the, the kind of the one thing I could think of was, was like playing piano at people's weddings like you've already seen and events I used to kind of had that opportunity where I would I was perhaps serving a wedding crowd or a um, or a banquet or something like this Uh, but usually treated with at some level of respect and a bit of uh, friendly banter between people that wanted me to play a particular song until one occasion that took place in about 2014 when I was asked when I was hired to play at an event uh, that was hosted by one of the most prominent families uh, in the state of Michigan, um, whose assets, financial assets, would run into billions of dollars. Didn't kind of change how much I was getting paid, but, you know, I was being paid to fulfill a function and I was glad to do it. But what I noticed was that when I was surrounded by people who are used to being served in almost every area of their lives, uh, for the first time I felt less than. I felt invisible. And as I drove home that night in my car, I felt something feels different about playing at this event than at so many other events I'd done the same thing. I felt for the first time that I'd been ignored. 
I felt for the first time that I was somewhat invisible. I may have got paid, but I didn't get honored. And I think about the, how that, as, as I was driving home that night, I remember thinking about how that relates to the body of Christ, that we should be so different to that, that the way we treat one another should always be on, with honor, with respect and with love. And if we would have traditionally seen somebody as lower than us, just a half step lower, we should work so hard to come to that place where we treat everyone as equals. I think if we learn to do that in the body of Christ, in in the church, in our local church here at Anthem, I think that will spread out to the way that we treat those that serve us, to to the way that we treat those that are drive-through, to the way that we treat people at Starbucks, to the way that we treat our essential workers who we cannot live without right now. Do we give special honor to those people who we might have in the past considered slightly less than in order to raise up their standing in our eyes? As the community of Jesus is, that Jesus is building is defined by equality, by oneness and by unity. You know, as well as those, uh, as those, those racial or ethnic or religious tr- tr- uh, divisions being removed and the socioeconomic like, power and weakness divisions being removed, he makes it real clear as well that there should be no divisions between male or female. And during the, the, the time that Galatians was, the, the, the New Testament was written and the, specifically the book of Galatians was written, a man would have considered his wife as being property. The property of a, of a father would be transferred to the property of a husband as soon as a woman got married. And of all the sort of upper levels of, of each of these three potential damaging hierarchies that there are, I think out of Jews and masters and males, I think it may be men that have the hardest time letting this perceived hierarchy in their culture or ours, letting it go and raising up the level of women in every aspect of our lives to total equality. You know, the, uh, the Jewish men and the Jewish Pharisees had a a prayer and it was a, a, a prayer that they prayed with arrogance. It was blessed be God that I'm not a Gentile, blessed be God that I'm not a slave and blessed be God that I'm not a woman, right? It, you almost know it's coming. They had this, this, this clear hierarchy, uh, hierarchy in every area of their lives. And I think perhaps that might be why Paul addressed each of these three areas that he says, listen, time out from now on in the community of God, this subtle half step that you've been wanting to change has got to come to an end. Both Jesus and the Apostle Paul in multiple areas in the New Testament removed the cultural boundaries that, existed, that, that had existed for centuries in this area. You know, that Jesus would sit with a, a Samaritan woman and allow her to serve him water in the heat of the day, that he would allow a woman to wash his feet, that he'd allow for both men and women disciples, allowing women to have as much access to him as as men could have access to him, was, was virtually unheard of during that time. It was, con- it was considered foolish to teach the Jewish law to a woman. They, they didn't even think it was worth doing. Jesus would give honor to a woman that was caught, caught in adultery at a time when she could have legitimately been stoned for her sin. Jesus re- uh, lifts this woman up and, and, and gives her honor and doesn't condemn her 
yet he looks at the men and condemns their actions. Paul as well talked about women as being his co-laborers in the gospel. A a co-laborer is an equal. Uh, he, he, he gave women incredible standing. And in, in, in one situation, he, he talked about a woman who, who, named Junior who, who he considered as uh, outstanding among the apostles. So if, if there's this band of apostles, that she is outstanding among those apostles. He described a couple like Priscilla and Aquila, with Priscilla being uh, female and uh, her husband Aquila, uh, as this couple that led a church in their home and were often hospitable to Paul. And he would he would talk about them giving almost greater honor to Priscilla by mentioning her name as uh, giving her the first mention. Uh, an unusual step in that day, and to some extent to as in as as well. You know, I know for some years, uh, even in my own marriage, I kind of had the assumption that my wife would follow behind whatever it was that God was calling me to do or God was asking from me. And I had this, this half step, or could have been whole step or a few steps, half step arrogance that she would always follow me and serve me instead of recognizing that God had deeply gifted her and, uh, and called her to specific roles, specific ministries as well. And the, 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 the idea of men in any way being greater than women, Paul is saying in the new community of God, this has to go. The way that we serve one another, the way that we serve in the church, the way that we serve in the community and lock arms serving with one another should be based on gifting and character and the wiring that God has given us, not based on gender. You see, as I, as I read this passage of Scripture about, you know, in Christ there should be no Jew nor Gentile, no slave nor free, no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. I, I realize more than I realize when I read some other passage of Scripture sometimes that God is trying to adjust culture. He's trying to, 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 to make us a community that is countercultural. That we're not, and remember, this is in Christ. This is not us just trying harder. It's you are all one in Christ. It's in Christ there's no slave or free. In Christ there's no male nor female. In Christ there's no Jew nor Gentile. It's it's not something that we get to do by trying harder. It's get something to do that we something uh, that we get to do by watching the Holy Spirit's work among us as we submit to His Word. And when we do Anthem Church, there will be like nothing like it on earth. There will be nothing like the church when it goes counter to the culture that is around us. There's a story about a, a, a woman who, or a man who's like driving down the freeway and he gets a, a phone call on his cell phone and he picks up the, the phone and it's his, his wife calling him on the cell phone uh, while he's driving down the freeway. And, and she says, sweetheart, I got to tell you something. You've got to be careful. I'm looking at, I'm watching the local news from the helicopter cam and they're saying that there's a, there's a man driving down the freeway on the wrong side of the freeway. And you, you know, you, you got to watch out for this guy. And the guys on the freeway going, there's not just one of them, there's hundreds of them. That felt a lot better when there was people in real life to laugh at it. But we are going to win when we are a people that are going counter to the culture. It might be tough, but that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to be countercultural to what naturally happens. He wants us to remove the hierarchies and the divisions that are so prevalent in our culture and be a united 
equal one community of God as we serve and worship him.